Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. How do we get people who are so different from, from one another to get along? Like, um, if you have two friends or two family members who have beef with one another, uh, you know, I mean, you know the difficulty of, like, even getting them in the same room, let alone getting them to be, like, unified or super hard. Um, it, it seem, and it seems like the more differences we have between each other, um, the more likely it is that there's going to be trouble or something between us. So different ages or, you know, different, different genders, different races, uh, different theology, whatever. Um, it seems difficult for us to have the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for before he died, the, the more differences we have between us. So when, when some early church leaders, Paul and Timothy start a church, um, they start this in, in Philippi. They started with a rich woman named Lydia and her family. Uh, some slaves, uh, a fortune teller, or, or, a, or a woman who is formerly a demon-possessed fortune teller, uh, a jailer and his family, um, some former prisoners. Uh, what could go wrong with a group of people like that, right? After Paul and Timothy leave Philippi, uh, Paul finds himself in jail, like Penny said. And, and while he's in jail, uh, Paul and Timothy write this letter to the Philippian church. And, and when, I, when I think of early churches... Uh, this often happens in, 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 in Christian circles. When I think of early churches, I often romanticize them. I'm like, oh, the, the churches that were existing right after Jesus' resurrection, I mean, they were so fun and they were all super tight-knit. They, they were really great Christians. And when you read these, these letters, clearly... It's just not the case. Um, it's not the case. I, I think we, you know, I, I romanticize them. I romanticize them. And so... Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to this group of people and they're trying to get them to, to be unified, to be one. Um, I, I think that lots of this thing, lots of the things he writes in this letter, he could, he could write to any church in this, in this country right now. Um, begging them, you know, begging them to be one, begging this diverse people to be one. And it's a relatively short letter. So if you're not reading it, I, I'd love for you to, to read it. Um, so they cover three, you know, three different subjects that pretty, pretty well over the time, you know, over this, this short book. Um, first they, they talk about identity. Um, the church is new. Nobody's really even known what a church is. And he says, this is what it means to be a church. This is what it looks like to be a church. Uh, second, they, they create, he, he talks about unity. Um, he's got all these different kinds of people, um, and he's bringing them together. There's very unusual circumstances that would bring together a rich person and a slave person in the same room together. It, it, was, it was unusual. And so he's trying to get them to be one. And then he talks about suffering. He says, this is how you should handle suffering if you're a Jesus follower, um, which is completely different than the world handles suffering. Um, and there are specific people in the church that were making this hard. And later in the, later in the, um, later in the letter, he actually, you know, calls a couple of them out specifically, which would be really, really fun, um, to have that happen. So it starts off like this to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So to everyone, to all God's holy people, graciousness and peace. And then he says this, 
I thank my God every time I remember you. <laughs> Which I think is... Um, the letter says, I thank God every time I remember you. Um, I don't even... Does that... Is that possible? Um, it seems impossible to me. So there are people in your life that you certainly don't thank God every time. When they come to your mind, you know, they, you know oh, thank God for... Thank God for Daryl. <laughs> if you can keep yourself from not saying something bad about them, you feel like you've won. So... If this, can this be really true? Like, can they really every, thank God, every time they think of them, can they really be doing that when it comes to frustrating people? He says this, you know, so he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Like if, if I said that and you'd be like, Daryl, always. I always pray with joy. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. The joyful prayers of thanksgiving seem to be for everyone in the church, even the ones causing trouble uh, fighting with one another. Um, it, is, it is not my first inclination to thank God for my family when we are not getting along. Um, he says, all of you, all of you. Um, when the authors begin this letter, um, they're doing a couple things. Uh, in, this, in these first few verses, they're doing a couple of, first they're la- leveling the playing field. They're saying, okay, in your, in your church, you've got this rich lady and then you've got these slaves. And normally the, that's, that's uneven playing field. He says, all of you, I'm talking to all of you, everyone. You're on the same playing field. Um, let me ask you this. Think, think of it like this. Um, at the end of time, at the, in, at the day of Christ, all the differences that we like to talk about, like, you know, poor, or, you know, poor or rich or slave or free or black or white or Republican or Democrat or whatever, all the things in God's presence on the day of Christ, which one of those are going to matter? Right? Like, can you imagine being in the presence of God and you seeing someone, oh, God, he's here. Get that guy. Get him out of here. In the presence of Christ, none of those things are going to matter. We are all one in Christ, right? All God's people are united in his presence. Uh, and I was thinking about that when I was getting ready for this, this message. In his presence, differences diminish. Differences diminish. And I feel like, you know, that's brilliant. You know, you're not better. You're not lesser because of whatever you've got in your life. You, you are, it is what it is, what it is. So the letter repeats, obviously, you know, I highlighted this in the beginning. He repeats all over and over and over again in a very short span of verses. He says, all of you, I'm talking to all of you. I think that he does it intentionally. Listen, listen to how, listen to how they, they, they gush about their love for the church. I have you in my heart. And God can testify how I long for all of you. When you read this in the Bible, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's super nice. It's, it's very, very strong language. If it's real, this is, this is very strong language. Um, it, it doesn't feel strong because you know, we're reading in the Bible. But if, if after this, we go to lunch together and I'm sitting with you and your family and I'm, I'm sitting across from you and I, I, I grab your hand and I say, listen, I long for you. I have you in my heart. 
you would say, this is weird, right? You would take your hands back and be like, oh. He's, he's being very, very strong with this language. He's saying, you guys, I long for you. I've got you in my heart. If that's a real person talking to you, it's, it's meaningful. Um, and my question when I think about that is, how is that possible? How is it possible to long for people who are irritating? Um, I think there's two ways he talks about here. So first, he, he talks about how the church shares in God's grace with him. And when he talks about, when he says, God, you know, you're sharing in God's grace with me. Typically what he means is you're sharing in God's suffering with me. Or you're sharing, you're sharing in, the, in, the, in the sacrifice with me. Um, and Paul, uses the, Paul often uses God's grace. He refers to God's grace as we was talking about. God's suffering that he's, he's putting in front of him or the, the sacrifice he's putting in front of him. And you know this, you, you know, you know this from experience. If you've got someone in your life um, that sacrifices for you, even if you find them irritating, it, it does something to your heart. Like you could be in a fight with them, but if they sacrifice for you like one minute later, so or, or if, if, the, if you've gone through similar kinds of suffering together. So if, if you lose your job and then someone walks through that with you, that person, because they've shared in the suffering with you, they have got a special place in there. Or uh, both of you have had, uh, had breast cancer, and so you both know what it's like to go through chemo, and so you share that suffering together. That thing, that thing that you have together, it, it creates this connection, this bond. So the church intentionally is going through Paul's suffering with him. And so he says, yeah, all you guys, I've got you in my heart. You mean something to me because you're sharing in my suffering. I'm in prison and you're sharing with me in that. So that's one way. That's one way um, that, that, that love covers over irritation. Uh, and again, I, I, let me I just pause really quick and say this about that. Wouldn't it be brilliant... If we as a church could do that together, like we could share in each other's sufferings, like typically when, you, when you're suffering, you know, lots of times we, we keep it to ourselves or keep it private and I don't tell you and you don't tell me. And, but like, what if we could share in one another's sufferings? I, I wonder if that would create some of the connection that we were talking about or we want, where people were longing for in the, in the, the family fall gatherings. So second way that Paul talks about, he, 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 he longs for people who are challenging is um, found in verse six. Paul says this, he says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So when you and I become Jesus followers, God, uh, Jesus, you know, through, his, through the spirit, uh, begins a work in us. He starts working towards our perfection that's going to end the day of Christ. Um, so it won't be finished until that day, but he starts working towards it. As we submit to it, as we say, okay, I'll submit to this. He's working towards our perfection. He's working towards our perfection. That, that it starts to, and it, when you allow that to happen, it starts to produce joy and peace and wholeness and harmony. Super great. Here's how it begins. This is how it begins. The person that you got bad blood with, you remember that he's, God's working on them too. He's doing things in them. Patience, because he's bringing them along. If he's doing that, and if he's doing it in you, he's doing it in them. You remember, and, and, and you remember that he's working on me, he's working on them, and you thank God for them instead of complaining about them. 
And then again, that's intentional work. That's intentional work. And you can do that with joy, though, if you're looking forward to the day of Christ. I'll talk about that more in just a second. But I want to come back to that. The writers stop in the middle of their letter. They're going down all these things and, and introducing things. And they stop and they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go any further, I'm going to recite our prayer for you. And they say this. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more and knowledge and depth of insight. So this is being read aloud. Imagine you're in this group, group of people. You got some people in the room. It's a probably smaller room than this. And you've got bad blood with some of them. And this is what he's reading. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more and knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best I mean, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There that is again, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's so much in this, just in this prayer that I, that I can't cover it. Maybe I'll come back to it a different day. But um, just note that a, a church as diverse as this one, a church with as much tension as this one, um, he's, he's, his prayers for their love to grow more and more for each other. In our culture, that's a, that's a prayer most of us can get on board with, uh, praying for love. No one's going to get mad if you pray for love. Uh, but notice it, does, it doesn't just say love. It says that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge of what? He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more and knowledge and depth of insight. And knowledge of what, though? I'd probably be better to say knowledge of who. <laughs> so later on in the letter, he says, he says this, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the, the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of sharing with him in his sufferings. I want to know him. People that you share, with, you, you share in their sufferings, you're, you're tight with them. So that I'll be able to discern what's best. Often I think I know what's best apart from Christ. Like, I, I know how to love people. I don't need Jesus to tell me how to love people. But I do not. <laughs> like when we say, when I, when I say, you know, I love you, typically what I mean is according to my rules or according to my preferences, I love you according that way. Not, not to some high standard or not to some clear knowledge of something specific. What he's calling for is knowledge of Christ, knowledge of the law, knowledge of the word of God to guide us towards what's best and what it, what it looks like to love people. And knowledge, though, but again, let me say this, knowledge isn't good enough. Because when, when Jesus was here on earth, he was around Pharisees and two teachers of the law, and they had all kinds of knowledge. And they were strangling people with the law. So knowledge wasn't good enough. It says knowledge and depth of insight. And so what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? So think of it like this. Have you ever been ready to, to enforce a rule on somebody or just, just to strangle them with the law until you got some insight into who that person was? Uh, and that insight made you change your mind about how you know how you wanted the the law enforced on them like you, you couldn't stand them but then you got some insight into to what their home life's like and then all of a sudden your love became to 
started to spring out of you in a different way. Let me show you this example. So in 2013, um, uh, a 20-year-old woman of Arab descent named Shelby Farah was murdered by a 21-year-old black man named James Rhodes. Um, and Shelby's mother, uh, so let me first say this, this happened in Florida, which they have the death penalty. So Shelby's mother, uh, Darlene, sought to have the death penalty uh, for, uh, for James um, carried out against him, but was super frustrated. If you know anything about this, is super frustrated because it takes forever. It takes, I mean, 10 years is not uncommon for it to happen. So she was super frustrated by the system. So she planned to show up to court, sneak a gun in, and kill him, kill him herself. Before she did that, so for some reason, she decided that she, would want, she wanted to learn more about James before she killed him. Um, she found out he was abandoned by his mother, raised by his grandmother. Um, his father was in and out of prison himself. She found out that when he was a kid, he'd get on the bus and he would cry. He'd just cry, he'd cry himself all the way to school because he was so hungry. He ended up in a group home where he was abused. So after finding out all these things, um, she opposed the death penalty for him. And she requested to meet him. She asked if she could meet him. And when this mother and the murderer of her daughter met, they talked for an hour, and James sobbed like he was two years old. And apologized for what he did. And he said, I wonder... I wonder if I had a mom like you, if things could have been different for me. And Darlene and James prayed together before they ended their time. They ended their time together, and they wanted to hold hands, but the, the officer on duty wouldn't let them. The prayer that, that Paul and Timothy are, are offering is that love would increase. It would cross all kinds of barriers, but it would happen by knowledge and depth of insight. It would happen by knowledge about this is what love looks like. Jesus, Jesus says, you don't get to make up what love looks like. It looks like this, and it looks like this, and it looks like this. And then, depth of insight. Me understanding you. Where do you come from? And what is it, what is it like to be you? So the prayer is that your love would grow in knowledge and depth of insight, and it will change everything. Understanding people and who they are and what they're about, that changes everything. And, and when that happens, you will be when that happens, you will be able to decide what is best. You'll be able to have you will be able to decide what's best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So this concept, the, the day of Christ concept, um, they talk about later in the letter. Uh, I want to bring this in, even though this isn't, this isn't from chapter one. Listen to this. The day of Christ. But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. Again, this is identity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul's talking about a day when we will have bodies that don't die, won't break down, don't get tired, don't grow older. We've talked a lot about this before, about how part of our desire, uh, it seems natural, especially in our country, our desire is to not grow older. And 
sometimes in Christian circles, we kind of look down on that like you. I think that that is put in us because of God. That's what he intended from the beginning. That you wouldn't get older. That we wouldn't die. He put that in us from the beginning and we're just longing for it to be like it was supposed to be in the first place. That thing in us, that longing for that, that thing is going to be fully realized on the day of Christ. Then that day, selfishness that comes so naturally to us and that ruins all our personal relationships addressed by Christ. The thing that separates us and makes it hard for us to be a sacred community, that prejudices and judgments and all addressed by Christ. That stuff will be addressed in us and the prayer the prayer asks for us to begin that process now, that we be made pure and blameless for that day. And throughout the rest of the chapter, you can see it happening in Paul. You can see it happening in his, who he is and how he thinks and how he, how he responds to suffering. Um, it is, he is looking forward to that day. What would you expect... Um, what would you expect to hear about a person who's looking forward to the day of Christ? Like, how would, how would a person who's looking forward to the day of Christ respond if they were in prison? Like, you would expect, so it, it, just a, a, apart from all of this, we've talked before about what the prison system was like then. I can't go into that now, but it's awful. Like, the prisons that we have now make, it, make those prisons look like the best thing ever. So, You would expect, if you're living in this terrible prison, for you just, if I was going to write a letter to you, I'd be talking about how terrible the conditions are and how badly I'm being treated. Uh, I'd lay it on really thick so you guys would think I was spiritual and really awesome. So you admired me or you felt bad for me. I'd make a spectacle of myself talking about, you know, how, how just super hard it is. And oh, just think, look, think about how all the things I'm going through, you guys. Woe is me. I'd make much of myself. And Paul does nothing like, if you read, if you read Philippians 1, he does nothing like this. He is in prison, an awful prison. He does nothing like this. He uses what he's going through to make much of Christ. He, he says stuff like this. He says, he says, I'm in prison, but what's happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. And again, I'm, I'm guessing that he's not always like, yes, this is the best. But this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, there are people who, out there who are stirring up trouble for me. Hmm. Doesn't matter. Here's the only thing that matters to me is that Christ, Christ is exalted. I love that. The, the most important thing is that Christ is preached. And then instead of complaining, he says, I'm going to rejoice. In fact, he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice because what has happened to me is going to turn out for my deliverance. And when he says deliverance, he doesn't mean I'm going to be free from the prison. He, when he says deliverance, he means I'm looking forward to the day of Christ and I'm free of selfishness and I'm free of like complaining. I don't have to, I don't have to complain in any situation. I'm being delivered from that. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. It's unreal. But he does it by not thinking about what's happening now. He's thinking about what's going to happen later. It, it, this is, we do this all the time. When you go to work, you're, I talk to sometimes we talk to each other about going to work. You're like, oh, I don't want to go to work. Well, why do you go? Because you're looking forward to a day when you get paid. 
You don't think about like, man, I don't want to go. And then you don't go. You, you're looking forward to a day when you're going to get what you do want. And so you suffer through what you have to suffer through. Now, that is what Paul is doing. He's saying, this suffering is not my favorite, but I'm looking forward to a day. Looking forward to a day. I think that's really powerful and helpful for us because we get caught up in right now. It's the day of Christ. It's how he does it. The day of Christ. The day of Christ allows Paul to, to, to do everything without arguing or complaining and have joy. He's looking forward to that day that gives him strength and perspective. So um, author and writer uh, David, uh, Paul David Tripp talks about how we get caught in the moment in the darkness of our lives because we shrink our needs and the wants, you know, to, we shrink down to the, to living for the needs and the wants of this moment, right? We do that. I, I, I do that. <laughs> I do that. In the, in the moment, our thoughts and our emotions, and our exhaustion seem more reliable than they are. And they're clearly, they're not very reliable. Like whatever, a day from now, whatever emotions you have right now can be like, oh, that was dumb. Paul and Timothy get that. And they know what's happening right here isn't, isn't everything. The day of Christ is coming. What he's calling for is, you know, when, when we're in those moments, we have to live with eternity in view. We live, you know, I live for the moment or any relief I can find, even if the relief is, is going to be toxic. But Paul's begging for his church to live for the day of Christ. You know, for battling our loneliness or battling our addictions or battling our self-centeredness, um, you know, the, the, the demands in our lives are the way we want them to be. So Paul and Timothy are trying to, trying to bring this sacred community together by teaching them spiritual math. And this is, what this, this is spiritual math. He says, sacrifice plus surrender now equals eternal pleasure forever. That's his spiritual math. Sacrifice plus surrender now equals eternal pleasure forever. The day of Christ. So, since we have such a glorious future to look forward to, yeah, and again, if you, you can look this at, at the, at towards the end of, Philipp, of Philippians 1, he says, okay, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. So he's saying, whatever happens, conduct your, whatever, I, I love that it starts like that. As we prepare um, for communion together, I want I want to I want to realize what Paul and Timothy are asking asking for from from their sacred community. He's saying, <clears throat> "May the life and the sacrifice and the love story of Jesus Christ inspire you to live up to that. Live up to that. Whatever happens, live up. Live your life up to a. Make it equal to what the gospel is. No matter what happens." Communion is a call for us to do that. Live lives worthy, worthy of the gospel, no matter what happens. So if you're like me, if you're like me, this is what I do. When certain things happen, I give myself permission to behave badly. I give myself permission to be less than gracious. If you're less than gracious with me, I give myself permission to be less than gracious with you. And see, obviously, when that happens, that's like a crazy circle. What he's saying is, I know, I know People are being less than gracious to you. Whatever happens, you live a life worthy of the gospel. So get, so that ends the circle. I'm less than gracious to you, but you say, mm. <laughs> I'm not playing that game. 
Sacrifice and surrender now lead to eternal pleasure forevermore. This is, this is what, when I was a kid and I'd be getting in trouble for my bad behavior, I would always explain my bad behavior by saying, but he did. And isn't it interesting that that's the same kind of mental excuses that I use now? Like if I do something bad and you guys catch me doing the, the bad thing, if I'm doing it in response to someone else, I'll say, you know, well, he did. Uh, he did, did you see what he did though? And what Paul is saying is, is on the day of Christ, none of that, none of this, what he did is not going to matter any. It's not gonna, who cares? Communion is the time when you remember life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and all in between when he's doing it. He never, ever responds and does something that he's not intending to do. He always does what he intends to do in every moment. He says, whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel. If you hurt me, I give myself permission to say something mean to you. That's a problem. This problem was affecting their sacred community there and making it less than sacred. So people were behaving badly and others were meeting them in the bad behavior. It's like, you go, oh, I can meet you. I can meet you. But then he ends this first chapter with saying, whatever happens, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. It's been, uh, <laughs> and Penny read this. This is, this is such a funny verse to me. He ends the, he ends the chapter with saying, it's been granted to you to suffer for Christ. You've been given a lovely gift of suffering for Jesus. Yes. You open your, ooh, what a lovely, thank you. You've granted me the opportunity to suffer. Why would that ever be good? I can tell you a day when it will be good. When you will be glad. The day of Christ. When you're standing in front of him. And he says, you suffered for me. You'll be like, oh, I mean, I don't know. I guess I did, didn't I? <laughs> yes, that will be awesome. And you, you'll probably be like, I wish I had some more opportunities to suffer for him. He's saying, you've been given, you've been granted the opportunity to suffer for Christ. And on the day of Christ, it will be great. So let's take it. Let's take it. Communion is the invitation to accept that death leads to life. Spiritual mass sacrifice and suffering now leads to eternal pleasure forevermore. I want, uh, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible says? So let's pray together that God will make this possible for us as we keep in view the day of Christ is coming sooner than we think. As we surrender to him. Let's pray together. Dear Father. I just lack the faith. To buy in. To the idea of the spiritual math. That, that surrender now. Is leads to pleasures forever. Um, and I know. I know on the day of Christ. That I'm going to wish. 
that I had more opportunity to surrender, more opportunity, that I would have taken more opportunities to, to say, okay, let's do it your way. Let me love your way, even though people are acting all kinds of crazy around me. I pray that our, for, for us, for our church family, that, that we would embrace this opportunity that we have in front of each other now. That we would accept whatever happens, that we would live lives worthy of the gospel. That we, we would take these moments when we've been granted an opportunity to suffer for Christ. I, uh, moments that we'll relish later on. I pray that you would help us do that. We, we are, like Silver said earlier in her talk, we, are, we want to give a gift to you, but the funny thing is we can't give it to you without your help. So help us in these moments as we reflect on the life and death and resurrection of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.